Welcome back to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Chris Bedford, Senior Editor at the Federalist. I'm joined here by Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. There's uh, You've been in the news the last week or so after a six-month hiatus from big tech legislation in the Hill where they fought over every other thing that they possibly could. There's been a real flurry of activity uh, with a specifically, uh, probably most newsworthy, with a bill that you've proposed and got a number of bipartisan co-signers on to try and bring to try and make it so that when somebody has a qualm with big tech, a legal qualm, that that fight is not always fought in big tech's backyard. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and what's what's happened this week and, and why that's an important step? Sure. So in 1913, the Clayton Act was passed, one of the uh, major pieces of antitrust legislation, and it gave the federal government the ability to sue in any district court in the United States. State attorney generals and private parties uh, could sue in a, in a particular court, but then the case was uh, sent to a judicial panel to determine where the lawsuit should be heard. And so the state attorney generals asked me to run this bill that would put them in the same category and give them the same ability as the federal government. So they will be able to uh, pick a state, sue in that state, and uh, under the antitrust laws, and move forward. So one of the uh, interesting uh, red herrings that's being thrown around is that, well, you got these activist uh, attorney generals and they'll sue under the environmental laws. And it doesn't affect environmental laws or any other law, just the law, just the cases brought under the Clayton Act uh, from 1913. Yeah, there's a lot of pushback I've heard from some of the, some, some Republicans or more libertarian-minded folks that say, when you've when you've got a bill that's got everyone from you to Chip Roy to Jerry Nadler to the speaker on it to um, more people on the left, that it's going to end up looking like how the left wants it to look. And they're going to use this to push to push their own agenda. What? How do you push back against against those those accusations that this is going to be hijacked more by the left than by uh, maybe common sense reforms that get big tech under control? Well, the, the reality is that the Trump administration uh, did more against big tech than any uh, administration in, in probably 50 years and uh, followed that by the attorney generals, uh, primarily from Texas, Nebraska, uh, some of the more conservative attorney generals. So uh, this bill empowers states to bring actions to protect their consumers um, it, under the antitrust laws. And, and that, to me, is exactly what we need to do to rein in big tech, to make sure we have competition in the marketplace. And so uh, can a activist uh, judge or can an activist attorney general in, in a state uh, uh, engage in, in some uh, uh, bad behavior? Sure. But that's why we have a court system. We have a court system to make sure that the law is followed. So how, did, how does big tech influence the court system? in its own backyard that's actually pushed for this to be something that needs to be looked at by this by you and by the uh, state AGs how, how does big I know that you know it's obviously the big employer there's got to be a culture there but what are some of the what are some of the outcomes that we've seen previously from cases that just go straight to California to be decided on. And, and that's exactly what's happened. Uh, the judicial panel has determined that there is a an expertise that has developed in the Northern District of California um, regarding high-tech cases, big-tech cases. And so a lot of the cases were transferred there, and, and not surprisingly, uh, the technology companies won those cases. And so the uh, this, this ability to have a Texas AG file a suit in Texas and have it heard in Texas 
is is really a, a major step. The Texas case against Google was transferred to the Eastern District of New York. Uh, not not that friendly for uh, uh, an AG from Texas, but uh, the a company like Google can go and hire a local law firm and and make sure that they have uh, every advantage possible. What are some of the kind of lawsuits or, or cases being brought forward that, that you've seen or that have been floated either by either by your office or by some of the offices that you're working on? The kind of things that could actually really potentially have an impact on the big tech issues right now that both left and right seem concerned about. So one of the major issues that we're addressing, in fact, uh, just today in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, there was a markup on on the non-discrimination bill. And that's one of the issues that a lot of the attorney generals are rallying around to to try to bring some attention to and uh, have have brought lawsuits based on that. And basically, it it, it is a case involving Amazon. And uh, the challenge is that Amazon self-preferences its own products uh, uh, over those of a third-party seller. And so the uh, idea is that uh, Amazon has a platform. It sees a product doing very well. It goes out, it copies that product. It then drops the third-party seller to page three on the search. It makes its own product the predominant seller uh, or product that's listed on the platform. Um, and that self-preferencing then, uh, at, at a lot of instances, has put those third-party companies out of business. So it's not just it's it's not just constraints to social media and the shadow banning. It's it's also about some of the anti-competitive practices. Anti-competitive practices uh, from Facebook, from uh, Google, uh, from uh, uh, Amazon um, and uh, Apple. Absolutely. Just a uh, just a few short years ago, probably about a year and three weeks ago, right before the uh, January sixth, twenty twenty one, there was a whole advocacy group here in Washington, D.C., the libertarians, the the tech tech people who said, if you don't like it, you can just build your own. Uh, You don't have to actually do this antitrust stuff. We saw that that was kind of really undercut by the decisions made by Amazon Web Services, the uh, Apple and Google to target Parler on false pretenses, just a potential small competitor competitor to Twitter. After that, the libertarians and the big and the tech Defenders really did seem to quiet down, at least in the public sphere. But in Congress, things might be a little slower to change. Did did you see a change in Republicans or Democrats in the last year on big tech? Or has this just been something that's really slowly been building for a long time? What are some of the sea changes that brought this together with such a diverse group of congressmen? Well, I'm not sure it's a sea change. It's more like a glacier uh, movement <laughs> uh, at this point. But there are uh, there are definitely changes in attitudes. And I, I really I give credit to uh, the media in this country for for highlighting the dangers of Facebook, for talking about the self preferencing of, of Amazon, uh, discussing you know, for, you know, for example. Uh, um, Apple, for example, has uh, uh, had an app that the Hong Kong protesters were using to identify where the police uh, were and to go to a different location. Uh, uh, the Chinese Communist Party demands that Apple take that app down, and they do. And there's enough of those stories going around that uh, I think people understand these aren't these aren't friendly companies. These aren't companies that uh, uh, really promote freedom in in the world. And so the result has been people looking at this and saying, well, you know, uh, the American corporations need to compete in the world. And these are these are good uh, job creators uh, and moving over and looking at some of these companies with a little more skeptical view. How many of these companies do you still think consider themselves? 
themselves American corporations aside from just where they physically are? Well, I don't think any of them consider themselves American corporations. They obviously are, are making a profit across the world and they want to be uh, a multinational. When they're here and talking to Americans, they're red, white, and blue. But uh, as soon as they get to China, they're red. It seems like even more and more, they're not even hiding it. Uh, you see the new CEO of Twitter saying, well, I'm not going to be, I don't want our company to be governed uh, by the First Amendment. You see the big tech investor who's involved with the NBA saying that China's not a dictatorship. America has these problems. Previously, they, they always seemed to just try and speak to the American people, but it's almost like, well, at the same time, well, congressmen uh, are starting to turn on them and say, hold on a second. They, they're getting even more arrogant as if they think that this coming year of potential antitrust legislation is no threat to them at all. I think arrogance is a great word to describe the company's lobbying strategy, frankly, yeah. and their uh, their view uh, in terms of how these uh, uh, bills will impact them. They really don't believe that, that uh, members of Congress have the backbone to do something and face the, the four most powerful com uh, companies in the history of the world. These companies, when, 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 you come, when it comes right down to it, they have uh, a larger uh, gross revenue than the gross national product of all but 20, 21 countries in the world. Um, and, and you think about how, how powerful that is. And they have spent literally tens of millions of dollars in Washington, D.C., gobbling up every conservative, liberal uh, think tank uh, that they can and uh, trying to influence members of Congress. Now you see, for the past couple of years, there's CPAC sponsored by Google and things like that. You get your free internet from them. It seems like lobbying has changed for the tech companies in the last couple of years. I mean, five, six years ago, to be an, uh, at the political, uh, the political outreach person for Facebook or some company like that was to be one of the coolest kids in town. When you went to the Republican National Convention or the, or the Democratic National Convention, you were a star. All you had to do was set up an Instagram booth. Or all you had to do was shake hands and people, politicians wanted to be around you. That seemed... That, I think part of that maybe was the Barack Obama effect when everyone got to write a book about how he used social media and it was so intelligent. That seems to all change so dramatically with the election of Donald Trump doing the same thing as Barack Obama had done years before. And now the disinformation pushes. Uh, but at the same time, I'm wondering when you see Democrats and Republicans so largely coming together to try and push legislation against big tech, that there may be a difference in the philosophies at play here where the Democrats – at least publicly, seem to want to control big tech, to use big tech to stop what they call disinformation, which is basically anything that disagrees with their COVID narrative or their election narrative or any global warming narrative, whichever one they want. Whereas Republicans may be even reticent to, but more interested in just trying to curtail their power. Where do these come together? And do you, do you think that beyond a few choice bills, the Democrats and Republicans could work together? Or are their goals too different, the right and the left? No, I, I think it's very interesting. And it's like a, a other issues that I'm involved in, the uh, issue um, uh, in terms of uh, war powers uh, that I'm involved in. You get folks from the left. I, I never thought I'd be in a, a press conference with Bernie Sanders, but but there <laughs> I was, Mike Lee, Ken Buck, and Bernie Sanders, and uh, Jamila Pryor, uh, uh, Pramila 
Jayapal. And it was it was really uh, fascinating to, to deal with that. But again, you've got people on the left who are against war generally, and you've got people on the right who want to uh, follow the Constitution. And so we had this, this common interest. And this is, again, a, an area of common interest. We have uh, the folks on the left who hate big. These are massive corporations, and, and they just are afraid of big. They don't like big. They, they see inequality in big. And so they want to stop big. And on the right, we're talking about we need competition. We need to make sure there's a level playing field. So if we're going to really compete with China 10 years from now, it's because of innovation. It's not because of lower labor costs. It's not because of lower energy costs. It's because we're able to innovate, out-innovate uh, China. And so we uh, on the right want to maintain that that competitive uh, uh, position in, in the marketplace. And so uh, there really are two uh, separate reasons. And it's, it's really, it, it's, it's funny to me, Chris, when we start talking about joint op-eds and I, I get a draft from the Democrats and I look at it and I'm thinking, oh no, we're not going to talk about reining in, you know, big tech. I don't want to rein in. What I really want to do is make sure that we have competition in the marketplace. So how do we, how do we create that without this government uh, regulation? And, and what, what's starting to seep into this conversation that's really dangerous and, and people have to understand. So often people say, well, this bill isn't perfect and I'm not going to support it. The, the, uh, the fallback position from the left is we will create a government agency and that government agency will oversee big tech. We'll treat it like uh, a utility. And uh, I, my experience with public utilities are the utilities control the public utility commission. And that's what's going to happen in federal government. A, a consumer isn't going to have the power to appoint someone to uh, a utility commission. And, and if we don't pass these bills and we don't let the market uh, take care of this issue, uh, the government will. This is an ad I'm really excited to bring to you because it addresses a problem we talk about all of the time on this program. Blinkist has the perfect content to help you be a better, smarter, and more knowledgeable version of yourself in 2022. Their goal is to empower people to grow personally and professionally by discovering content that inspires, motivates, and gives you new perspective on your lives and in the world in 2022. So how do they do that? Well, with 22 Ideas for 2022, Blinkist's content can incredibly impact your lives. So there are titles of books on Blinkist and they advertise themselves on their website as big ideas in small packages. So you can read major books by people like Scott Gottlieb, who has uncontrolled spread on Blinkist. Even Roger Scruton, How to Be a Conservative, that's on Blinkist. You can read books from prominent authors, books that are making a huge impact on our politics and on our culture. Ryan Holiday, who's been on this podcast, you can listen to Lives of the Stoics, you can read Lives of the Stoics, and it says right here on Blinkist's website with a subscription that book becomes a 13-minute read. Trey Gowdy, doesn't hurt to ask. That book becomes a 15-minute read on Blinkist. They have such a huge library of really important and impactful titles. If you want to read Ilhan Omar's book, you can do that in a truncated time period and it becomes digestible. We are drowning in content right now in our world. And to be able to, to, to condense important ideas from major books that are so impactful 
is an invaluable contribution. It's exactly the kind of innovation that we need in this high-tech world where, again, we are drowning in content. And to be able to consume it responsibly does require some work. And this condenses the important information from those books without losing anything. That is an aha moment, right? This is an innovation that is bringing us something important that works with the way we live our lives now. And too many people, because of the way we live our lives now, just don't have enough time to get to books, period. This makes books accessible. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Federalist to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Federalist to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash Federalist. It's, and it, it's also utilities aren't famous for their innovation. But I think the difficult aspects that we face here with our innovation is is China. And the, are there a lot of these companies, even if they make a huge amount of money here, are the bigger market for them is China. They're, that's why you see Apple removing applications uh, and, and doing the government's will in China. But you would never see them crack a terrorist phone here in Washington D. Here for for the feds in Washington D.C. They're afraid of that. And I, I wonder with the China issue, you've seen some of the major consulting firms, some of the major corporations like Bain that have started to split their divisions where they've got an Eastern division and a Western division so that one side China can't control uh, and the other side the United States can't control. And that way they can try to not become these players in what a business cold war that might be developing between the two countries. How can we how can we ask American big tech to innovate while they still have such allegiance to a Chinese government that wants to steal from us, wants to defeat us, has some of a mercantilist economic outlook and wants to use our own technology companies, our own people and our own universities to do that? Well, one, it, the, the last point you make is a great point. Uh, uh, TikTok and uh, various groups that, that are uh, active on our campuses, like the Confucius Society and, and other groups, are absolutely controlled by communist China, absolutely pawns in that game. And we have to be very careful. Uh, and I think that just comes to educating Americans that you're, you're, you're really risking uh, not just your safety, but the national security when you give the Chinese that much information uh, about yourself on some of these apps. But the, the, uh, the, I think the reality is we have two very different systems, and, and those systems are going to uh, play out in different ways. When I, when I talk to the uh, CEOs of, of other, uh, the tech CEOs don't talk to me very much, but um, some other companies, their philosophy is we'll give China the ability to copy you know, this information from us because because by the time they're able to implement that, we're three generations ahead, and and they're not worried about uh, the the technology, the the uh, the theft of intellectual property um, from from China, and so they they create this uh, different system to be able to do business. They're recognizing that uh, the innovation is going to happen on this side, the product is going to be better earlier on this side, and and China is getting a, a product that's a few years old. I hope. That's true. Although I think they might they might have overthought themselves a few times, or maybe had a little too much faith in their abilities. But they don't they don't have any faith in Congress's abilities, as you pointed out. And it's harder to see after the first some of the early tech hearings why they would. 
with the some of the illiteracy that we've seen from from congressmen and senators on a lot of these technical issues. Have you seen that start to change or have you seen staff or other people on the Hill who come in who have those specific expertises where there's it's a big problem to wrap your head around? Do you, do you have any faith that Congress is really going to be able to do that in a way that's effective and not just lashing out? I, I think Congress will act in a meaningful way in a very limited area. Uh, the, the, there are a lot of challenges that I, I didn't know about when I got here and, and have learned. But one of them is staff is very cautious. They don't want to see a member go out and get killed because they did something wrong. So if you do nothing uh, you're a lot safer than if you do something that could turn out to be bad. And so the first answer from staff is always no. And then you've got to work through why it's a good policy and why the American people expect you to get things done. And so part of that issue is a staff issue. I just dealt with a member today uh, on this uh, venue bill, the discharge petition, and, and a staffer had told the member, well, this will this will allow uh, activist attorney generals to enforce environmental laws. Um, it doesn't. Um, and, and so we had to walk through the, the statute, the bill, the proposed language to, to demonstrate that. But that's that's not bad to be challenged in that way. It's just bad to be ignorant. But, but uh, members so often don't have time. There's a great report out that details the, uh, the, the, the really uh, threatening business practices of these four uh, major companies. Um, and I, my guess is that maybe three or four uh, members have read that report. And uh, until you understand really the scope of the problem, it's hard to get on with the scope of the solution. So how is big tech exercising their their muscle now these days in D.C.? They've, they've abolished their think tank or at least their, their advocacy firm, at least in its current form. Uh, they no longer can just put a sponsorship on or buy ads and, and playbook or, I mean, even Axios, which is basically backed by big tech firms through and through, did a report about how they're backed by big tech firms through and through. It seems like it's getting harder and harder for them to exercise muscle. But at the same time, they're huge with an unbelievable amount of money. So what are some of the resources that they're bringing to bear to to push for their causes and push back against this legislation? So they've, they've done a... a uh, really, uh, they have increased their person-to-person uh, uh, -person, uh, lobbying. Uh, they they have uh, hit a lot of offices, and then they have got they have champions now uh, that are members who are championing their cause. Uh, when I walk around the floor, I have a few members following me and talking to each person that I talk to. Um, I, I also uh, know that they have uh, spent a lot of money on trying to build a, a grassroots effort with advertising. And uh, it hasn't gone well for them because I think a lot of Americans are very skeptical of big tech, really from a privacy perspective more than a competition perspective. But uh, it, it is uh, at least one of the efforts they're making. So those are a big a kind of a change. Two, two of the most powerful politicians in the House of Representatives, uh, Minority Leader McCarthy and Speaker Pelosi, hail from California, where big tech's a huge aspect of their economy. But... McCarthy, who previously had only pushed for Section 230 reform potential in the next Congress, now is signing on to, to your bill. Um, what are some of the things that brought him to the table on that or some of the conversations that went into his change of mind? 
Yeah, I really don't know. Um, I, I haven't talked to him since he uh, signed on to the, the uh, uh, discharge petition. I, I do know that we were gaining a lot of momentum. Be, before he signed on, we probably had 72, 73 uh, Republicans who had signed on to the bill and were now at, at 97 uh, and, and uh, gaining. I think we have another 30 or 40 who will sign on uh, at some point when we get back in session. So I think uh, Kevin, who, who wants to be speaker next year when we gain the majority, uh, sees that this has popularity in the uh, conference and, and he wants to be uh, associated uh, with the positive bill like this. Yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to fight something that's going to pass. You want to be on the winning side and then and then tout that you did it. Uh, have you seen movement on beyond just I mean, your bill, which you're more more focused on right now or any kind of uh, things that would make you think that some of those Republicans and Democrats who've been more defensive of big tech in the past who are from the states of big tech might be more open to coming around on this just because of the popularity issues and the grassroots issues? Or is that influence still pretty strong of big tech on, on politics? Well, I have never studied California politics. I never want to study California <laughs> politics, but I do think that uh, the folks in California are, are pretty uh, unanimously opposed to legislation holding uh, big tech accountable and, and trying to create competition with, with big tech. I don't think that's going to change. What, what we need to do is work on the other 49 states uh, where there is a, there, there's a real economy. Uh, there are real people who uh, are passionate about America and America winning the, the, the war that's coming up, uh, whether it's a, uh, a hot battle or a cold battle. Uh, and I think those folks understand the need to, to, to uh, deal with big tech in a responsible way. So your legislation has antitrust on it, and it's trying to empower the AGs here. But this is supposed to be a year of big tech legislation. We'll see where it goes as we get closer to the midterms. But this is step one. What's step two and three, or what happens next uh, to try and to try and change the way that the big tech has power in this country and the world. So this, the non-discrimination bill that I mentioned earlier that was marked up in the Senate, I think is the next bill to go forward in, in the House after this venue bill. Um, and it basically just prohibits uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, other companies from uh, engaging in self-prefacing behavior, uh, discriminating against third-party vendors who were their clients, who, who helped to build the massive company that they have. Uh, I, I think that bill uh, stands a good chance of, of passing in a bipartisan way uh, in the House and in, in the Senate to pass the Senate Judiciary Committee today, uh, I think it was 16 to 5. So. Do you have any pushback from the White House? Or do you feel that they've been helpful? Sometimes Republicans can't get anything done without the right people in the executive and vice versa. Uh, but this with a bipartisan bill, are you getting the kind of reach out you need from, from the White House? Or? So uh, what's really important to note is that we had great support from the Trump administration, uh, from the FTC, from the Department of Justice, Antitrust Division, from other administration officials. Those folks are still being very helpful in talking about what they saw when they were in office. And, and then uh, I think this White House is being helpful in two ways, one, by communicating with Democrats, and two, by not communicating with the Republicans. What do you... Why this year? I mean, this year, I've heard from a couple of people that this is the year, this is the last year, this is going to be the, an important year, not from you, but from other folks. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you, usually it's very difficult to pass anything as we get closer and closer to an election. People start to bottle up and just say, I mean, D.C. loves to say, I can't do anything because this is an election year, or I can't do anything because next year is an election year. It's a, it's a constant excuse, but are, 
do you think that this is an important year for any reason other than that it's an important issue right now, or is this, is this, is this a long battle? Yeah, I, I think there's more Democrat support than there is Republican support for this type of legislation, for antitrust legislation. Republicans don't tend to look at government as the solution. We tend to look at government as the problem. And so uh, empowering uh, a Department of Justice Antitrust Division or the Federal Trade Commission don't tend to be uh, popular answers with Republicans. So I, I think it's much it's a much bigger lift in uh, next January than it is right now. And how do you how do you constrain these bureaucracies? Because I mean, for the last eighty years, Congress has loved to just kind of give power to a bureaucracy and say and have some broad rules, and then the bureaucracy interprets it themselves. How do you combat that with the bill in a way that makes conservatives more at ease that the bureaucracy will be constrained to what Congress actually wants it to do? So the 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 the, uh, the fight right now uh, is is the the, the battle um, is really. Uh, over applying the uh, Sherman Act from 1890 and the Clayton Act from 1913. Um, it's been updated by the courts. Those laws haven't been updated by Congress. Under Article One, Congress's job is to keep the, the, the laws updated. And so uh, it's not as if uh, changes aren't occurring. They're just occurring outside the scope of what the Constitution contemplates. We need to be the ones, and I say we, Congress needs to be the, the body that makes those changes. And, and I think that when uh, conservatives, when Republicans understand that we're trying to update a law from 1890 and a law from 1913 that never contemplated e-commerce, that never contemplated social media. And we're, we're, it's still the same spirit of let's make sure that, that we don't uh, allow power to accumulate in a particular area. And, and Chris, what, one thing that Republicans understand very well from the last election is if you've got a monopoly on information like Google, like Facebook, You've got a monopoly on power in a democracy, and we can't afford to allow a few corporations to monopolize information. I think that's right. And the East India Company, the most the company that famously had an army bigger than the British Army at the head of its power, could never control information in London. They could put some some pressure on it, but that power that they have right now is unprecedented. Well, Congressman, I know that you're up against a hard time stop, so thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Uh, until, until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray.